Welcome, everybody, to the Exit Poll Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Titino, and we today are going to be talking about the Open Nikki Songus race. Joe, how are we doing today? Clancy, it was wild hearing last week that uh, Congresswoman Songus is is not going to run, and it it was a little shocking, but not surprising, um, you know, based on the current climate. So I'm excited to talk about that. And also, what a weekend with Charlottesville! My goodness, I know it's crazy. It's uh, it's too bad. It's too bad for things like that to happen in this country. But what are you going to do? We must uh, we must move on. So. Joe, we are lucky here today to have Joe. So Joe worked on Nikki Songus's uh, most recent campaign. He knows the district intimately, so there's no need for a guest to interview on this because uh, not many people know this area better than Joe. So Joe, why don't you set the stage a little for us and tell us uh, what you know about the district, what you did for Nikki, and um, give us some. We'll talk about twenty-something candidates for uh, the seat. Well, the third district. Great district. I have to pump it up at first. It's, you know, from Lowell to Lawrence to Haverhill to Methuen, all the way out to Fitchburg, Gardner, Marlboro. Uh, it's 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 really a microcosm of America. You got your industrial big cities, the home of the Industrial Revolution up in the northeast part of the district. Uh, you know, the beautiful Merrimack Valley, get down through the Nashua River, you know, your Concords, your Actons uh, of the world. And you get out to Fitchburg, to Gardner, the chair city. I mean, Marlboro. Uh, you know, just an incredible district. And it, it, it's amazing. The news last week, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, I was I worked as Nikki's uh, field director this past cycle. And, uh, you know, obviously I am a little biased, but just to, to talk a little bit about Nikki first and foremost, uh, she is the consummate professional. Uh, she is, she cares deeply about the third district. And and a, a lot of folks in 2007, when she first got elected, they knew the name, but they didn't know her very well, especially outside the district. And she really has made a name for herself, both in the district, in Massachusetts, and in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, she's worked very hard. Uh, one of her big issues is sexual assault in the military. She's been out front on that uh, for several years, and she is a um, one of the top Democrats on uh, the House Armed Services Committee. She also is uh, also on the um, Natural Resources Committee and works a lot on federal lands, um, which both armed services and federal lands are, are two very important issues in this day and age. But uh, it's going to be wild uh, in the years coming ahead. She's, she's been in office since 2007, since taking over for uh, the now chancellor of, of the UMass system, uh, Marty Meehan, uh, who uh, left in 2007. Uh, she won a, I believe, a four or five way primary back then, and has been there ever since. Uh, has not had a major, a big time major challenger since. Uh, but we're going to elect, uh, quite possibly, it may not be the truth, the first non songus uh, or me and since uh, you know since the nineties. Uh, so it's, it's been a while. It's it's hard, especially in Massachusetts, uh, where you don't get open seats too often. Our most recent one was uh, Ed Markey when he left to, to when he won his Senate seat in two thousand thirteen, and we got. Catherine Clark, um, and then before that, Joe Kennedy, um, and so Seth Moulton, of course, uh, up in the north northeast part. But an open seat uh, creates a free-for-all, and that's what we're going to see here. Uh, you know, like you said, we've got about 19 to 25 candidates who are considering or who have declared. It's, you know, really, it's really an opportunity um, in a district, uh, 37 cities and towns, um, from, like I said, Methuen and Haverhill, Lawrence and Lowell, the big vote centers up in the Northeast. Um, you know, you've got your liberal areas, your Concords, your Actons, um, in the, su- the south, uh, the Southeast part of the district, Marlboro bordered on the South. 
then Clinton, Lancaster, Bolton, Berlin, um, up to Fitchburg and, and Gardner, and then you fill in the middle there. Uh, I could go on and on about the different cities and towns, but just to kind of set the scene, um, you know, as much as Nikki has won um, by over 60, you know, at least over 55 to 60 percent the last couple of cycles, this seat is not a, a sure bet for Democrats. Uh, we're obviously going to have a spirited primary, but there are a couple Republicans that we will get into. It's, it is the, um, by definition, by the Cook Political Report, the third most conservative district in Massachusetts. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it borders uh, behind Richie Neal, who's been there for a while, um, and also um, Bill Keating, uh, who has the Cape and Islands. Um, so, Joe, but, why don't you tell us a little bit about the demographics in some of these cities and towns that are um, make up CD3 so you know people can have an idea this isn't the Cape and the Islands this isn't the Berkshires this is a big swath of uh, Massachusetts that encompasses blue collar people white collar people tell us a little bit about you know what the demographics are of the districts you know Lowell Lawrence Haverhill compared to some of those other places and what uh what we can expect to see for vote turnouts and things like that in some of these places Certainly. Um, so it is, uh, It is like I said, I, I said it, it sounded a little facetious at the beginning, um, but it truly is a microcosm of America uh, at large. I mean, Lawrence, uh, Lowell, excuse me, is the only city in the district that is over 100,000 um, residents. It is historically a tough nut to crack. Uh, I believe John Kerry, I don't have the quote exactly, but John Kerry actually uh, lived in Lowell for a short period of time when he ran for Congress and did not win um, back in the 1970s. Um, but he he has mentioned in the past how much of a tough nut Lowell is the crack, and some of that might be the way that he was treated in his in his uh, in his race way back in the 70s uh, mm-hmm. by the Lowell Sun, uh, which has taken a little bit of a conservative turn. But that's a whole other story for another day. <laughs> um, but Lowell really is 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 a melting pot. It has been since its founding. Uh, founded as an industrial town uh, in the early 1800s, uh, mills for miles and miles along the, uh, the Merrimack River, um, you know, the, the different neighborhoods. I mean, you've got your downtown area, which today has been a little revitalized, and you've got UMass Lowell, Clancy Mann, proud yep. graduate. Riverhawks. Uh, go Riverhawks. Uh, Norm Bazin, best hockey coach in the country. Uh, <laughs> Got to give him a shout-out. Yep. You've got your very rich uh, section of town. Uh, your Belvedere, but you also have Pawtucketville and Centralville, north of the river, um, which are a little bit more conservative. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump did quite well over there. You've got your back central, your highlands. Um, you know, you've got a, a a big melting pot in terms of, uh, you know, your Cambodian community mm-hmm. is the second largest Cambodian community outside of Cambodia. Um, so oh they they ha- currently have a, a Cambodian state rep, Reddy Mom. Mm-hmm. Um, they ha- they don't have a Cambodian uh, city councilor, but I know there are two Cambodians. Shout out to Vesna Noon um, running for city council in downtown Lowell. So a big melting pot. Most votes come out of Lowell. Um, you know, historically, Marty Mia and Nikki Songus are our Lowell residents. Edith Norris Rogers, who was the first uh, woman elected uh, to Congress um, after her husband died way back in the 1920s, I believe, and served for over 35 years in the Congress. Um, moving on to Lawrence. Lawrence is a majority-minority city. Um, you know, it is a heavy uh, Spanish-speaking population. So whoever runs, um, not only do they have to uh, do well in Lowell, 
which is a big melting pot. Uh, I believe Nikki used to say the quote, there are over 50 languages spoken at Lowell High School, oh uh, which is wild. But Lawrence itself um, is, is a, a very strong uh, Spanish-speaking population, and you have to appeal to the community. Um, I know Dan Rivera is the mayor there. There's a very contentious mayoral race going on there. We've mentioned be, be, before between Dan Rivera, Willie Lantigua, the disgraced Willie Lantigua, and uh, several others. Um, but that's a tough nut to crack. But they vote in the last election. Four out of five voters, uh, eight, roughly 80% voted Democrat. So that obviously is very important in a primary. Uh, you go up through your Haverhills and Methuen's working class communities along the New Hampshire border, um, also high population centers. The other population centers for vote, you have some suburbs, the Chelmsfords um, of the world. Uh, then you head out west, Fitchburg and Gardner, the two major cities out there, very working class, post-industrial cities. Um, that There were a couple precincts I know in Gardner that voted for Donald Trump while also voting for Nikki Sangas last cycle of the 225 precincts. So, Joe, uh, not to cut you off, but give sure. people an idea of what it uh, – I know that we talked off air that some of these towns – are brand new to the district since redistricting in whenever it was last. So just mm-hmm. uh, give the people an idea of what towns recently came in here as well, because I know that they were out west as you're describing them. Be glad to. So the thing a lot of folks talk about, I, I know uh, you know when Marty Meehan ran uh, in the early half, it used to be the, the fifth congressional district uh, back when Massachusetts had, uh, I don't have the number off the top of my head, it may be 12 congressional districts, maybe 11, someone will correct me. Uh, but we used to, because of the population, had more congressional districts. And then I believe it was in 2012, uh, the fifth became the third. And so this, now the current iteration of the third district, they lost uh, Tewksbury. Uh, they uh, they only have part of Andover now. I think there are two precincts or one or two precincts in Andover that are Seth Moulton's district now. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of the eastern districts. But they added 11 communities. And all 11 communities are in the western half of the district. Um, you know, Nikki had the contend midterm, uh, I believe it was her third or fourth term, uh, 11 new communities, which made it a little more liberal, but it it still makes it a conservative, uh, district overall. So the new communities, the bigger communities, Marlboro, um, which I believe used to be part of Jim McGovern's district, uh, also Fitchburg and Gardner, um, which are all liberal leaning cities, uh, and very important, um, voting bases while also retaining Lowell and Lawrence to the Northeast. Uh, they also get some smaller towns. Um, they've got, uh, off the top of my head, Ashburnham, Ashburnham and Ashby Townsend, um, which is historically very conservative. Um, I'm trying to think who else here. I made a whole list the other day, uh, cause this is what I do in my fun time, uh, my yeah. free time. <laughs> uh, Pepperell, Lunenburg, I believe are new to the district. Um, you know, some really Western towns. So as much as the voting base is up in the Northeast, it really behooves a, a central part of the district or even someone from the Western part of the district to run. Um, and if they can carry that side, well, it's all broken up in the East, which, like I said, uh, 75% of the votes come from the old part of the district, but about 25% do come from the Western half. And that's significant in what could be a, uh, a multi-way primary. Yeah, especially if there's 20 people. If you get somebody who can carry you know, the Western, uh, Western cities and towns, then things can be, uh, can be a lot different. So, Joe, you want to kick off and we'll go into uh, some of the people who are running for the seat. We can, uh, you want to start with Eileen Donahue? Be glad to. And just to preface it, Clancy, uh, like I said, um, 
free for all. So whenever there's an open seat, you can be the dog catcher um, from wherever, and you're still going to run for this office because the vote's going to be split a million ways here in the primary. Yeah. And an interesting part about Massachusetts politics is usually, you know, it's a Democratic primary, and then the general election is kind of a formality. Not the case here. Uh, but like you said, we'll we'll run down some of our Democrats. And um, I, I know you mentioned Eileen Donahue, uh, who in 2007, I believe, finished under 2,500 votes away from beating uh, Nikki. Nikki won by about 2,500. And uh, Eileen, who has uh, her, she obviously a state senator, um, well established, was actually this. Uh, Paul Songus actually convinced her to run for office um, when she moved to Lowell. She also lives in Belvedere. And uh, downtown, uh, she's got all of Lowell, and then she's got some of, uh, I know, uh, some of the suburbs to the west of Lowell. Uh, but she certainly is is someone who is a, is a political animal. Um, you know, to be from Lowell, you have to be. Uh, and she certainly has a lot of connections, having been a, a senator for a while. Um, but she certainly, I, I don't know if she's officially declared, but certainly has uh, a good shot as any in this race. And, and she'll do well in, a, in the part of the town, a vote rich um, Belvedere, and then some of the smaller towns that know her well, like the Pepperells, and especially in the primary. Yeah, she serves the communities of Lowell, Dunstable, Groton, Pepperell, Tingsboro, and Westford. So mm-hmm. she uh, she has some big voter bases out there, and she's you know been in the city council. So she's been a state senator. So it's was anything, mayor of Lowell. Yeah, yeah, anything can happen. She uh, was an attorney by profession. You know, the founder of the Merrimack Valley Economic Development Council, Woman Working Wonders Fund, and the co-founder of Future Star Camp in Lowell. Um, so she's done a lot for the community. She's been out and about. She's been there for a while. So anything can happen. And she's also the chairperson on the Joint Committee on Export Development. So, I mean, that sort of experience um, plays well when you're potentially running for Congress, if you understand that kind of stuff. And fun fact, I believe I read this somewhere in an old bio of hers, is that she can speak fluent Spanish, um, which could help her out, especially in a place like Lawrence and uh, in some of the inner cities. That's yeah, that's big. If you can speak Spanish, especially in some of these some of these places, you are uh, you are in business. So, mm-hmm. what do you think her chances are, Joe? High, low, medium, somewhere in the middle? Well, not I. Uh, you know, again, if, it's it's going to be a. If she were to run, where do you think her chances would fall? High, low, middle? I think she has a very good shot. And obviously being established in Lowell is, is very important. We could see one or two other candidates come out of Lowell, uh, which which could be, you know, it, it could be a street fight in Lowell. I, I think it will be regardless. Um, you know, door-to-door campaigning is going to be so, so important. Um, but I think she has an excellent shot. Considering how well she did in 2007, she's got the name recognition. Yeah. In... Just a disclaimer, all of these candidates that we're about to talk to, none of them have um, formally said that they are going to run. So this is all speculation at this point. So mm-hmm. we have no idea. Yep. And we've endorsed running. no one or we're not behind anybody. So, yeah, you got it. All right. So moving on to somebody who's from sort of that western part of the district and probably left uh, more left than most people who are going to run. Jamie Eldridge. What do you think about Jamie Eldridge? The great senator from Acton, uh, Jamie Eldridge, very affable guy, um, has been very outspoken. You know, he was uh, one of Bernie's top, Bernie Sanders' top supporters in the last cycle. He did pen a letter, uh, I believe, it, that came out in the Boston Globe that talked about how um, 
you know, internally with the Democratic Party, uh, you know, is a lot of control going on. And, and he had, I guess, kind of insinuated that, um, you know, there should be some primaries to Democrats in, in, you know, that some of these more conservative Democrats in Massachusetts. And uh, that really rankled some folks, especially in, um, you know, kind of the, the rank and file. Um, Jamie's been one never really to, to go along, to get along. Yeah. Um, and, and he is definitely one of the more liberal members of the state Senate, which is saying a lot, the more liberal chamber of the state house. Um, Jamie did run in 2007 and, and he was really starting out, uh, finished an impressive third, uh, you know, behind the established names of Songus and Donahue up in Lowell for a guy who, like you said, in the Western and more Southern Western, uh, the old Western part of the district mm-hmm. um, in Acton, you know, you can really benefit from a liberal base there. He certainly has a lot of supporters in the state. And I can tell you from last cycle, he did spend a lot of time going not only around the district, but around parts of the state to help out other Democrats and uh, progressives. So he certainly has a shot. It is worth noting, however, that part of his district is not in the third district. He lives in Acton. Um, but he, part of his district, I'm thinking uh, Westboro, I believe he has part of Northboro, um, you know, some little pieces of the district are not in the third district. So he certainly has name recognition, uh, but it'll be interesting. Obviously, primaries are more progressive affairs. The more progressive folks are going to turn out. He's certainly going to have a base of folks that are going to do the work um, because we do know that, that uh, you know, the more dedicated, the more progressive they do the work, you know, the door knockers, the phone callers, the mm-hmm. folks that'll march in parades. So he certainly is up in the in the conversation as someone, and I know he's posted about how he's certainly thinking about it. Um, it's just a matter of has he rankled enough people? Um, you know, can he raise the money and can he uh, come across? But it, it would be really interesting of all these candidates if Bernie Sanders. I know the uh, you know the Our Revolution folks and the. Um, Brand new Congress folks, which are two super PACs that are kind of offshoots of the Sanders campaign, came out and actually endorsed him, um, you know, as one of their candidates because he certainly fits that mold. Yeah. And speaking of raising money, he is the chairperson on the Joint Committee on Financial Services on the Senate side, a very powerful committee that usually those guys can raise a bunch of money. And he is the vice chair in the Senate Committee on Global Warming and Climate Change. Now, Joe, what do you think, um, just to jump back to the actual race, what do you think some of the issues are that will pop up? Is this going to be a referendum on Donald Trump? What do you think some of the issues are that could potentially pop up and lead the way in uh, this race? Well, we're a long way off, obviously, uh, but you're going to start see people start really campaigning um, really going full tilt at the end of January of 2018. That's around the time that the Secretary of State releases nomination papers. Mm-hmm. You need 2,000 signatures, certified signatures, um, which, of course, you can sign for more than one candidate as long as you're a Democrat or unenrolled. Um, that's when they'll really come out. And we've got to see where we are as a, as a country at that point. If it stays along this trajectory, Clancy, we're, it's certainly a dumpster fire yeah. already. Uh-huh. I mean, that's an unbiased opinion. Yeah. <laughs> we saw the press conference yesterday. Um, you know, it's crazy, but Donald Trump is certainly going to be at the top of everyone's mind. It's interesting to note, though, Clancy, that over 100,000 people voted for Donald Trump in this district. And of the 224 of 225 precincts that Nikki won uh, in the district, she lost one precinct in Townsend, precinct one. Um, You know, not that I remember that at all. Uh, (laughs) But she, uh, 15%, or about 35 or 36 precincts, voted for Donald Trump 
and also voted for Nikki Songus. Oh, wow. That's um, crazy. So there are parts of this district that are more conservative than most, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking Drake it, where every single precinct, I believe, or almost every pre- single precinct in Drake it, which is right next door to Lowell, went toward, uh, to Donald Trump. So obviously in the primary, uh, it'll certainly be a referendum on Trump. But um, and, and I think overall the electorate will reject Trump. Um, Hillary Clinton did very well. Um, she won the district. It was tighter against Bernie, but, um, you know, he will be a referendum for sure. Uh, you know, jobs, jobs in the economy are obviously very important to folks. Mm-hmm. Um, case in point, Paul Ryan actually visited this district a couple weeks ago. I don't know if too many folks know that, uh, but he went and visited one of the top industrial spots in the district up in Lawrence, uh, um, which like I said, four out of five Democrats, four out of five voters last cycle were Democrats or voted Democrat. He visited the New Balance factory to kind of highlight the Republican tax plan and, and uh, you know, what that'll do. And it was kind of to stick his finger in the eye of Democrats and obviously Nikki and everybody. But really, uh, you know, jobs in the economy are very, very important. Um, you know, as as they as Bill Clinton, as Bill Clinton's campaign said, uh, you know, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah, uh, that's going to be a huge focus. You know, can you bring jobs back to the district? We're obviously seeing tech jobs, but can there be more manufacturing jobs? Um, that'll be important. Immigration might play a big issue, especially when we get to the general. Um, obviously, uh, Lawrence is identified as a sanctuary city. I'm really interested to see the way that mayoral race plays out. Um, up in Lawrence, because, uh, you know, that will obviously Republicans make a big deal about, um, you know, the amount of of uh, of minorities up in the area, which is yeah. crazy. Um, you know, it, it's a great city. Uh, then obviously, you know, different parts of the district, even Fitchburg Gardner jobs are still a big deal. Um, Marlboro. Um, but there's also uh, things to be said about uh uh, uh, an, again, another local issue is, is what's happening in Lowell right now. Um, Lowell High School, that's a big local issue. I don't know how much of an issue it will be. Um, you know, it's really a state-level issue, but education, um, you know, what kind of funding we're putting toward that. Um, and then, obviously, the the, the rivers uh, around there, the environment is a very big issue. Um, you know, we've got the Merrimack and the Nashua, two major rivers, Um in the history of this district and also it currently uh, the district itself they're still very important um and then you know issues all around you know the national issues that we see will play out on this stage um but obviously it's it's going to be interesting going forward to see how this all lines up and i'm sure we'll get into this of all the people running you're going to have a gubernatorial race you're going to have a u.s senate race um elizabeth warren and you're going to have the congressional race, not to mention the state Senate and the state rep races. So there are going to be a bunch of different state issues flying around, um, y- you know, and, and we'll see. We'll see even depending on who gets elected on the Republican side, if they can even come out of this and get the support of someone like a Charlie Baker. Because if it's some of the candidates we're seeing that are a little far to the right, he may want to distance himself, yeah. um, which would certainly help help out whoever the Democrat is um, who comes out of this. So. That was rambling a little bit. There are a lot of issues, obviously, to each individual voter, but Trump will play huge jobs in the economy, et cetera, et cetera. If you're a candidate, you should uh, hopefully you listen to that. You can get the real good primer of the issues on the district before uh, before you get out there and start campaigning. So, I mean, that there's was, certainly uh, certainly much much more, uh, but I don't want to 
take up too much time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so we hit, we've hit Eileen Donahue, we've hit Jamie Eldridge, and now we are going to go to another state senator in that area, uh, Barbara Latalian. She represents Andover, Dracut, Lawrence, and Tewksbury. She was a state representative from 2003 to 2011 on the Andover School Committee from 13 to 15, and she is a state senator presently. She was also the director of government affairs for state treasurer Steve Grossman. So she knows the building. She knows the district. Um, what do you think about her chances, Joe? Well, Senator Italian certainly um, is a name that has popped up and is someone who, who uh, could could really make a dent, especially in the Northeast, rich uh, voter-rich part of the district. Last election cycle, she really had, I think, one of the best um, organizations overall in terms of campaign organizations in the district. Uh, she had a challenger, Sula Plant, who is the wife of one of the Lawrence City Councilors um, who came from South Lawrence, and they really duked it out. And, and what seemed on the surface of it a really, uh, you know, big time battle, uh, really in Lawrence, uh, it was really a big ground game they put out there, and, and she won big. She won every town, city and town in that district, and really blew Sula plant out of the water now she did a very good job in lawrence and like i said four out of five voters voted for a democrat last cycle um if she can repeat that uh that'll be huge and and, and could be a uh you know a building block going forward that being said this is not a presidential election um the turnout's going to be a little lower it's obviously people are going to get hit a billion times uh, on the doors and on the phones um, but she certainly is someone not to um, not to be ignored because she is a seasoned vet. Um, she know what it takes to win. She knows what it takes to win. She is very vocal on uh, a lot of issues. I know the um, uh, she she has talked about autism a lot at the state house. That was one of the big issues that she brought up. I believe she has um, a, a son or daughter who has autism. She's been very vocal, um, especially on elder issues and the like. Um, she is from the very edge of the district. She is from Andover. Um, so she, I'm not sure her name recognition in other parts of the district, especially the west and central part, even in Lowell. Mm -hmm. um, but she certainly knows she's run a few campaigns. She's lost before, like you said, as a state rep and then came back, uh, really battled back. Um, I believe she lost to Jim Lyons, who is an extremely conservative guy. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and uh, who was like one of Ted Cruz's guys um, for Massachusetts, which is saying something. Um, but I've heard, I saw something in the newspaper uh, about Emily's list possibly contacting her as someone who could run. So wow. she is someone who doesn't have that Lowell base, but she's going to be a scrapper and, and has the background. And I know she has a, a, a good official side staff and, and had great campaign side staff. So she's certainly a dark horse in the race. She could be a force to be reckoned with, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. um, so up next, so we've hit all of the state senators. Um, I don't know, do you want to touch on Dan Rivera? Has his name been rumored, or is he staying out of this, or before we get to so, the representatives? So Mayor Rivera, obviously a very compelling character. Uh, Mayor of Lawrence, who won by a very tight margin in 2013, was was almost like a transformative um uh, candidate that go around because of what happened with Willie Lantigua up mm -hmm. in Lawrence, which <laughs> he, he is uh, quite the character. Google him if you don't know who he is. But I read a quote that he is certainly not thinking about it, and he is committed to Lawrence, and he has to at least he has to say that 
Um, he's going to have a dogfight on his hands in that city, and 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 uh, you know the best of luck to him. But I don't think he'll run. I can just run down some of the other names real quick that have popped up mm-hmm. um, that I have heard. At least Democratic electeds. We've kind of divided the list because there's so many Democrats. Uh, but Representative Jen Benson of Lunenburg, Representative Hank Naughton of Clinton, um, certainly two names uh, at the state house. Two people who have have. Uh, you know, ready to move on from where they are now. They obviously have served their district well. Hank Naughton is a compelling figure. The fact is he's got the military background. Um, I believe he is a chair. I don't know of what off the top of my head, but he has uh, he is active military. He's a JAG officer. But in 2014, he did run for two offices. First off, attorney general, which I may have one of only five uh, Hank Naughton for attorney general bumper stickers <laughs> in the state. I'm holding on to that for dear life. Uh, but he also... Um, ran for a uh for a hot second for what was the other office clancy i i don't i'm blanking off the top of my head um i'm not sure that's that's bad uh i shouldn't know that but he he's run he ran for two high profile races back then and um you know did not win uh so i don't know i know he said he's thinking about it it's crossed his mind he certainly would be compelling coming from the western part of the district where we've had a lack of candidates. Uh, Jen Benson from Lunenburg has never run for statewide office. Very, uh, very great person. Um, be interested to see if she comes in as a very small base um, in terms of in-district stuff. Uh, Rep. Jim Maselli ran back in 2007, but unfortunately for him, I believe he lives outside of the district. Um, he finished uh, fourth or fifth in 07, still as a state representative, I believe, from Wilmington. Correct. Um and then the other three electeds, uh, Rep. Corey Atkins, obviously Chet Atkins, her, her uh, ex-husband, was a state representative from Concord, uh, a congressman from Concord, uh, but I don't, I don't see her getting in the race. Uh, she had a tough re-elect last go-around. And then the mayors, Mayor Zanny from Methuen and Mayor Fiorentini from Haverhill, I know both have been rumored. I really don't see them getting into the race Um uh, you know, it's possible. Like I said, any anybody who's anybody might get in. Uh, but really, the top electeds are the Senate, the state senators. I see is getting in the race. We could see uh, like a local local official from Lowell if they really think they have a shot. Um, Kevin Murphy, who is the um, city manager in Lowell. Uh, there's also um, we need we got to open those seats up for people like me who want to become yeah. the next city manager. So you know, Kevin Kevin Murphy's my guy. <laughs> You'd be great in Lowell, uh, <laughs> Clancy, but uh, I know they, they've got a battle on their hands with that school issue. Yeah. Um, there are other reps in Lowell. Um, you know, I'll just bring them off real quick. Uh, you've got Rep. Golden, Rep. Nangle, who is a Democrat, but I know has supported Republicans in the past. Rep. Ratty Mom, who I don't think will run for higher office right now, first Cambodian-American elected in U.S. history. Um, and then there's some reps from Lawrence, but they're really getting – uh, they're, you know, the Rep. Zoglio, who has Lawrence and, and part of Haverhill and Methuen, I believe. Um, you know, Representative Brian Dempsey, who was uh, chair of, who we've talked about, was yeah. chair of House Ways and Means, is now on the, the private sector, and I, I don't think we'll be running for this office. Um, then there's Juan and Matias, who, who wanted a big upset um, over Rep. Marcos Devers. And um, Frank Moran, who also I don't think will run. So I think we ran the gamut there. There are a few other names. Um, you know, there's Mayor Dean Natale out in Fitchburg. Um, you know, Rep. Rep. Stephen Hay um, from Fitchburg. Um, but again, I, I think we've really run the gamut. The state senators have a wider regional swath of folks they can really draw from. 
And I will say that I'm a big fan of Dan Rivera, and I hope that you know he does uh, remain the mayor of Lawrence and continue to do his good work over there. So you know, hopefully he uh, he wins this one, and you know, if possible, throws his hat in the ring and as well. But so let's move on to the people who are not electeds, who are also big in this district. Um, there's quite a few names that have been you know, creating some buzz. So let's talk about Ellen Murphy Meehan, um, about the next potential candidate who could be uh, running for the seat. What do you think, Joe? Very, very intriguing. Obviously, uh, she's now the ex-wife of former Congressman uh, Marty Meehan, uh, who uh, is now, like we said, the head of the uh, UMass system in Massachusetts. Uh, she certainly has the name. Uh, she certainly probably has the connections in terms of fundraising. I think fundraising is very, very important in this race um, to, you know, to, to make a difference. We'll get into that in a sec. Um, but she, there, if she runs in, in, in Lowell, uh, she possibly could clear the field uh, from the northeast part of the district. Now, I think, uh, you know, I don't think she'll intimidate anyone, but I think, you know, people will see the force of that me and name. Um, as, you know, Congresswoman Songus ran back in 07, and people love Paul Songus to yeah. this day. Uh, they absolutely love Paul Songus, and, and they should absolutely love Nikki Songus. I, I mean, I've said for years they need to put a statue up to Paul Songus in Boarding House Park where he announced his 92 presidential run. They should put a Nikki Songus statue right next to it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she certainly is compelling. She's a healthcare consultant, um, you know, obviously knows some big donors, um, obviously was hand-in-hand hand with uh, one of the most powerful congressmen uh, from Massachusetts for a while. Very interesting to note, uh, Frank Phillips from The Globe had an article out recently that um, that Marty Meehan may have made a mistake. Now, a very out-of-the-way mistake, but Frank Phillips is a pretty savvy guy uh, from The Globe. Uh, Marty Meehan recently donated what was left of his camp federal campaign account, $4 million, uh, was in that campaign account. And while you cannot transfer money in those uh, federal accounts, you can certainly donate all of that to something like the state party. Um, he donated, I believe, mostly to charity. Um, but that $4 million, uh, you know, if, if, if uh, Ms. Meehan did pull it out, uh, could have been donated to the state party and in turn uh, been used to uh, support a run in the third district. So, uh, you know, obviously he had no idea that this was going to happen. You know, I, from what I understand, Nikki deciding the, to, to um, retire uh, was not well, not out of the blue. Was uh, you know a little unexpected for folks, and that's why you know you see all this scrambling right now. So she certainly has the name and has the connections. It would be really interesting if she got in. I was really hoping that he was going to donate that money back to me for my student loan fund that <laughs> from when he was ta his time during the chancellor at UMass Lowell and uh, those fees. money well spent. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, money well spent. Exactly, More sandwiches yeah. at uh, what, what's that sandwich Supas, place? Supas. You know, you can get a oh, fat chicken there. Yeah, I, fat chicken. I was Love hoping it. that that money was going to go to me, not all five million, but just a couple bucks to pay off my student loans. But apparently, that didn't go as I thought it was going to go. So. But uh, good luck to Ellen Murphy Meehan. And now we got a couple more names. So Dan Coe doesn't live in the district. He lives in the city of Boston. He's kept a presence in Andover. He's obviously Marty Walsh's chief of staff. Joe, what do you think? Well, it's very interesting. Dan Coe, uh, an Andover guy uh, who, like you said, lives in Boston. as the ch You have to as a, an employee in City Hall. Um He's an intriguing guy. He's in his young, th in his uh, younger thirties, 
Uh, he's gotten a lot of media coverage, a lot of media coverage. I mean, I've seen a couple of magazines where he's been on it. Um, you know, very interesting that a staffer would get that much coverage. Uh, but that's beside the point. We'll let sleeping dogs lie. Uh, <laughs> but he's been getting ready be for this. You know, Marty, Marty, yeah, Marty Walsh. He said there was an article that came out. I believe it was late last year that said that he was very interested in running for Congress. And that obviously brought a lot of whispers. Is he going to primary someone like a Nikki Songus? Well, that obviously he dismissed that immediately. Uh, but Marty Walsh recently said that uh, he would be 100% behind him. Now, Marty's got to get through a re-elect here against Tito Jackson. We expect him to win. And then we'll have the campaign next year. Now, obviously, to run for Congress, you don't actually have to be from the district anyway. He could stay registered in Boston. Um, you, I believe the qualifications are you only have to, you have to be from the state and you have to be over the age of 25. Um, so Not very strict. Jeez, Joe, you, you want to run? No, Joe Kennedy is my congressman. He will be till the till as long as he wants to be. No, no, I mean um, you want to run for great this, this seed. Oh goodness, no, Clancy. <laughs> I don't want to be in call time twenty five hours a day. <laughs> but anyway, Dan Coe, I think what people see is they see a younger guy. The Globe obviously pumped him up. He was kind of the headliner of the Globe article. I've been in the third district a while, a little over a year. I was in the third district, and just based on races in the past. You really have to establish yourself. You've got to build a ground game. Uh, you can't just breeze into this district and say, oh, I'm a big name uh, or a media name that somebody hears and, and expect to clear the, clear the field. And Boston is not the third district. Like I said, third most conservative district in the Commonwealth. Uh, it ranges from, from very diverse up in the northeast part to, to some very Alabama-looking towns, um, like the Townsends of the world. Great town, by the way. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's more conservative than it is liberal. Um, so, again, while he would be a, the youngest guy in the race, and, and really I've seen him at events in the district last cycle, full disclosure, um, you know, I think he would really have to raise a lot of money, which I think he can, and really do the, the, the dirty, dirty. you got to call your chairs, your state committee folks, your school, uh, city committee members, your, your selectmen, all this to really get the pulse of the district and knock doors. You have to knock doors because these people, and let me tell you, the people Lowell cannot be BS'd, uh, especially the other 36 cities in town. So yeah. um, very interesting. It'll be interesting to see a, a, a young guy infused in the race. But, um, hey, you know, it's it's an open seat. Anything can happen. Yeah. What do you think about the possibility of Marty's labor connections helping out Dan um, in a place like this? And this is a big blue-collar District, mm -hmm. you got Lowell, Haverhill, Lawrence, um, and some of the cities out to the west. There's a big blue collar presence. Do you do you see, you know, if he does get in the race, some of Marty's, um, you know, union connections helping him out at least in the get go to get him going, get that ground game started, and get moving potentially. Well, if I believe if Marty, me and his wife, gets into the race, and Marty does have a big hand in it, like he says, he'll be very supportive. I think he could do a lot of work. Uh, to 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 uh, persuade people. Now Marty is a state employee. He's got to be very careful. Uh, you know, working for the UMass system can't raise money for his wife, but there are things that he can do to certainly uh, you know edge people in his favor. And that name carries a lot of weight. You know, people in the district want somebody that's going to go to Washington and is not going to bloviate. They're going to actually get things done and get money for the district. And in this day and age, uh, that's at a premium. 
Um, so I think Labor is going to go with people they think can win, um, people that have been loyal to them. Now, obviously, Marty, uh, being the Labor guy that he is, you know that Labor helped him get over the hump in 2013. Um, it'll help him again, uh, but it's a different it's a different kind of Labor um, yeah. out in, in that part. You know, Merrimack Valley Labor Council, uh, you've got some 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 big players. Uh, I'm not going to name anybody by name, but there's some big players on that council, and they're uh, definitely building projects in the district. Um, you know, the, these folks, the labor was not always hand in hand with Congresswoman Songus. I don't believe, you know, there, there were issues where, where I'm sure there were disagreements. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of, uh, you know, people uh, of them seeing someone who can, who can win first and foremost, mm-hmm. and that can bring the bacon back to the district and really support labor. So, uh, uh, it, it'll be, it'll certainly be something to watch, um, you know, boots on the grounds, uh, you know, Lowell was obviously kind of the center or they, there was one of the centers for the, uh, the question three last year, I believe it was question three, the, uh, charter school debate. Um, you know, there's a lot of activists in the area who are, are pro charter, anti charter. Um, that was really a battleground in Lowell last cycle. So, um, you really gotta, you really gotta be loyal to, to the labor folks, uh, kind of went on about that, but, um, you know, just an interesting point, uh, Whatever the labor leader labor leaders say isn't always what the rank and file is going to do. Yeah. Um, so that, we saw that with the Trump election last cycle. Mm-hmm. So I rest my case. There. So that was a perfect segue into the next candidate, somebody who can bring home the bacon, who's not going to bloviate, who's going to get things done, and who has had support of labor in the past. My favorite candidate, and the reason why me and Joe are on this podcast, Steve Kerrigan. So. Me and Joe, we may be a little bit biased here talking about Steve <laughs> because you know we worked for him for so long and we went through the battles and the wars. So, but Joe, try to give an unbiased opinion if that's possible on uh, our former boss Steve Kerrigan and what you think about his chances are in this race. Uh, I barely know the guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, we like we said, we've known Steve for a while. We can only speak to what we know um, of him as a person, as a candidate. Obviously, a statewide candidate in 2014 um, has the chops. Worked, worked for for Senator Kennedy for nearly 15 years. Which, if you work for Senator Kennedy and, and you're trusted by him, I mean that the name still plays in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if someone works for Senator Kennedy, and a lot of the folks that supported him around the state are still around, um, you know that that is very important with folks. And I knew that. Pl- I know that played. When, when he ran in 14. Um, he is a Lancaster guy, so he is from the western half of the district. Again, we mentioned earlier in this podcast that there are not a lot of candidates from the west. Um, obviously, the votes from the northeast, but you can't discount the west um, in this race. Uh, you know, Steve, Steve did well in the 3rd Congressional District overall, um, won the 3rd Congressional District in his primary in 2014. And look, we know him out in front and behind the scenes, he's the same guy. He's a he's a really good guy who connects with people, um, who uh, really can tell a joke while also being serious. Uh, you know, I've yeah. seen very few people do it, uh, but he has it um, mm-hmm. as a candidate. And uh, you know, again, it's going to be a battle with anyone who runs in the eastern half of the district. And and, and again, Steve ran in 2014, but it's 2017. You know, people uh, have short memories in, in politics. That's for sure. Um, so he's going to have to really do the work. I think Steve can raise the money um, based on him having run these races in the past and his connections at the federal and statewide levels. Um, but he, it'll be interesting to see if he does get in. Uh, we know he's getting married in October. Very yep. exciting. I'll, I'll see, yeah. you at the, see you at the open bar clans. I'll see you um, there. I'll see you there. <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a decision he'll have to make. But, uh, you know, we're in our completely unbiased opinion. You know, he's somebody I think people would really believe in. Um, and people, if they haven't met him before, uh, he is he's somebody that he's your friend in a minute. And I know his family will be behind him. And he has the possibility to, again, work the western half of the district while also bringing some Worcester County folks, depending on if Jim McGovern gets an opponent. And, and of course, the general election is year, light years away. We're talking primary. Yeah. Um, but if Jim, if Jim McGovern doesn't have a real bruiser of a race, which he might, um, whole another episode, but uh, <laughs> he might be able to draw in some activist support from that neck of the woods. Um, and Elizabeth Warren will be charging hard, will be running a very tough campaign. Uh, herself regardless of who gets in the race but i think steve can really capitalize on some of that and he still has his supporters around the third district and, and folks that know him and know uh, that he has connections in washington uh as well a lot of these candidates uh outside of um ellen murphy mean really are really statewide level yeah. um you know steve's work worked at all levels and, and has connections around the country um, that'll certainly help him out down the line. So interesting to see if he gets in the race. Uh, you know, obviously we are, uh, we don't have a dog in the fight yet, but, uh, he is someone that I would, uh, I would certainly work for. Yeah. He is my favorite speculative candidate so far in the race. I will say totally that. unbiased. Yeah. Totally unbiased. <laughs> totally unbiased. <laughs> but all right. So Joe, we are coming up on the close of the episode. We've been mm-hmm. rolling, we've been rolling through for 44 minutes. So why don't you just wow. give us a quick rundown on, some of the Republicans, uh, Rick Green, Beth Lindstrom, Mayor Hawk, um, you know, a couple of those other guys. Just give us a quick rundown of uh, who you think potentially could end up on the Republican side. Certainly. I just want to throw a couple other names out there on the non-elected Democratic side, um, names that I've heard. Uh, current district director for Nikki Songus, Ben Martello. He's been with Nikki since the beginning. You just never know. Uh, really smart guy. Good friend of mine. Um, I think would 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 uh, were, would certainly be a compelling candidate. Um, and David Bernstein, old friend David Bernstein, had a very speculative article of people that could run. You know, it's the age of Trump. You never know. Uh, Samantha Power, uh, former uh, ambassador to the UN, registered in Concord. Joe Kearns Goodwin, son of um, of Doris Kearns Goodwin, the author, uh, I believe, is also registered in Concord. Um, and ran a Senate race um, and had a very interesting op-ed a couple uh, a couple months ago on on you know public service. Uh, apparently, there are connections of all people, uh, you know, all kinds of people um, across the district. But really, we've covered the the real um, the real players. I'm, um, but it, I'm shilling for either uh, Mickey Ward or Rob, Zomb- Rob Zombie for um, the <laughs> the star seat. So I mean, we'll Never see f- we'll see who gets in from the crazy you know celebrity type of people but who knows absolutely the pride pride of lol irish mickey ward uh certainly if uh you know mark Wahlberg could come down and stump for him uh interesting to note that uh mickey ward did endorse elizabeth warren during the 2012 cycle at at, at the boxing gym so uh that would be really compelling he's he's kind of a quieter guy um he's been at the state house a few times i know he knows uh you know uh, rep Nangle uh, and folks, but yeah, <laughs> you know, we like to speculate. That's our job. Mickey uh, but Republicans. Ward. Yes. Mickey <laughs> Ward. What a guy. <laughs> Go on. All right. So hit us with some Republicans and tell us who you think. Well, the number one name, uh, that, that we mentioned in the past, Beth Lindstrom has already said she will not run for the seat, which, uh, begs us to, to wonder if she certainly is considering running against Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but the real number one name is, uh, the, um, is, uh, Rick Green. 
Uh, Rick Green is someone who I think is is really concerned Democrats for years because he's a guy who can self-fund as a business owner who runs Mass Fiscal Alliance. And if uh, that name sounds familiar, a lot of Democrats uh, have been attacked, especially at the state rep, rep level, um, for their votes on tax issues. And a big issue that's going to play um, at the state level this cycle is uh, how uh, – Democrats did give themselves at the state level a pay raise, um, which did in fact benefit a lot of Republicans who did not speak up about it. And being in the minority, they didn't have to. They could vote against it and still accept it. Uh, but Mass Fiscal Alliance, very well known for sending um, some very questionable mailers uh, to people about their their votes on certain things, and they've been effective. Um, you know, almost a Lee Atwater uh, style of politics. Um, so he's someone who can self fund and has really scared Democrats for years. He's from Groton. A um, couple other names. There is one declared candidate before it was all said. Scott Scooter Gunderson, who's a military uh, officer from, I believe, also Groton. Um, you know, that part, a smaller town in the district um, who has been running a race and has been hitting events in the district, um, but really hasn't gotten much play. Um, Ann Wofford, who ran against Nikki the last two cycles, um, actually did worse the second go around. Jesus. Um, yeah, did not do that doesn't help so you hot. Have. Like to say I uh, had a hand in that. Yeah. Um, but Take anyway, the credit where credit is due. <laughs> it was all Congresswoman Sangas yeah. and our team out there. Shout out to the folks that that did help us out last cycle for sure. Um, but there's also some people. Um, there are elected officials. Uh, Mayor Hawk, Mark Hawk, out in Gardner, um, who gets along with Democrats and Republicans is someone who I know he said that he really doesn't hasn't given it much thought. That was a newspaper quote, but, um, you know, he is an elect. Yeah, that's what they all say until the money starts rolling in. Yeah. Um, you keep an eye on those FEC reports. If people declare, um, I believe, I'm not sure. I believe the end of the year is when we'll start seeing them, but there's also mayor Vigen, Arthur Vigen from Marlboro, um, pretty progressive town that votes Democrat, um, but they have a Republican as mayor. And he's done a good job, also gets along well um, with other Democrats in the area. Um, other names that I've seen floated out there, uh, one name who I know uh, sometimes will vote Democrat, Republican. He is a member of the Chelmsford School Committee, but old friend, Sal Lapolian. Why is Sal Lapolian important, Clancy? Sal's Pizza. Sal's Pizza. Oh, man. The Sal Zone is an experience and a half, um, but some delicious slices of pizza um, and a very affable guy who owns a um, Lapoli Properties. He's done a lot in terms of investing in some of the post-industrial cities, the gateway cities, so to speak. Um, I remember seeing one development on the river there up in Haverhill, um, a mixed-use development on the waterfront. You know, he's really invested. Um, and uh, you know, there's also Salvatore's Restaurant, which I heard is very good. Haven't haven't uh, haven't dug up enough quarters to go get a steak there, but uh, like I said, very <laughs> affable guy. Certainly has the money. Um, certainly knows people in the district, so um, he is he's somebody not to be uh, not to be ignored. He's got plenty um, of property that he can put lawn signs on too. Oh, you better believe it. Yeah. Um, another name, um, Representative Sheila Harrington uh, from like the Pepperell area. Uh, Pepperell towns in the first Middlesex, I believe it is. Um, somebody will kill me if I get that wrong. <laughs> but uh, my, you know, shout out to Tom McGrath and uh, Jen Meath and and all the folks in that area uh, that were so helpful. Um, Democrats are well organized. They'll win. They'll win up there again someday. Um, but she's also someone I know 
uh, more of a lower profile. Um, I can't think of any other good Republicans in the district, high profile Republicans who really strike me. Um, can you think of anybody else, Clancy, who, uh, I think, I think he got them all. I think he covered them all there. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think the Democrats, obviously, like we said, it is Democrats who are more high profile in this race. But if someone like Rick, Rick Green gets into the race and dumps millions of dollars in of his own money, it could be a real battle. Could be anything. And the last thing, I mean, this is probably, you know who wins first and foremost with Nikki not running, especially up in that district, is Charlie Baker and whoever runs against Elizabeth Warren. Because mm-hmm. this is a little known fact. I did not say this at the beginning of the podcast, but hopefully people haven't fallen asleep. Uh, You're keeping me awake, <laughs> so I, I assume everybody else is probably still awake as well, Joe. I hope so. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren... Deval Patrick, Ed Markey, all people who won in, in uh, 2010, 2014, 2012, 2013, all won statewide races, won them by a decent margin. They did not win the third district. Elizabeth Warren lost in 2012 to Scott Brown up here. There was that debate up here, um, had that uh, infamous uh, you know, uh, supporters outside who are doing battle outside of the Songus Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, she lost in 2012. Uh, someone else, Deval Patrick, who, uh, you know, the second go-around was a tighter race. He lost this district. Wow. Uh, Ed Markey, who uh, blew Gabriel Gomez out of the water, lost the third district. That's wild. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that, uh, you know, it, it's something to think about if you're a Democrat. Now, obviously, the, um, you know, the primaries are going to be more progressive and more progressive. You know, the activists are going to show up and it's going to get a lot of play. Um, but certainly if a Rick Green or another high profile Republican that we haven't mentioned gets into the race, it really puts the focus on that district while, you know, Charlie Baker is able to run statewide and, you know, Elizabeth Warren can't rely on the Lowell's and the Lawrence's. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but we're really, you know, the primary is going to be this huge battle. It's going to be the eyes of the universe, uh, you know, starting in January when those nomination papers are out. But, um, you know, I, I think it's very important to get on television if you're one of these candidates. Um, yeah. You know, Elizabeth Warren will raise money. She'll get on TV. Charlie Baker will put, get on TV, the three Democrats that have declared. Um, but I think there is a chance in, in uh, you know, to get on TV, get your name out there, raise a ton of money in the, uh, you know, the, at least the first quarter of the year or even this year if you want to raise it in the fourth quarter. Um, or even if folks are raising it right now, if you can post a strong quarter and scare a few people away, um, you have a shot, but, um, you know, never sleep on those folks out in the Western half of the district, because I think, uh, you know, that's some untapped potential out there uh, while everyone's focused on the big cities. Joe, I don't think you could have said it any better, buddy. <laughs> I hope I didn't give, you know, I can't give too much away, but, uh, no. you know, I, I spent a lot of time, like I said, in the district, a lot of, lot of great events to hit, um, you know, I, it, it's beautiful, beautiful district. I mean, Lowell has a lot of history. Um, you know, the Industrial Revolution was was there. It happened there. But also, uh, did you know that CVS was founded in downtown Lowell? Jesus, uh, that is that's a that's something a fun fact that these candidates should lead with at every uh, Democratic <laughs> town committee that they show up at. I mean, if you're not dropping Jack Kerouac on the road quotes or Dharma bums quotes left and right, you really have already lost the race. Yeah. Are you um, even running is the question. <laughs> are you even running? Um, but, I, you know, 
I think it's important to remind people you know, the, the old the old line of Washington's broken, Washington's broken. It'll play, it'll raise you money, uh, but there's a proud legacy there of um, you know Marty Meehan and Nikki Songus, who's done an incredible job. Um, you know, it's continuing that legacy, and uh, you know Edith Norse Rogers, somebody who was a Republican who took over for her husband, who passed away of appendicitis uh, suddenly in the in the 20s. I think it was 1925. But served for like 35 years um, and was a strong, strong, uh, you know, proponent, uh, strong person uh, who, who worked on armed services committee for, for a number of years and, and really helped out. And that transfers to today. There are a lot of, there's a lot of defense, uh, a lot of defense industry in the district. Um, you know, there's a lot, still a lot of manufacturing. Um, so, you know, continuing that legacy of, of being a voice for the people, you know, you can't have everybody agree with you, but... You know, you'll get 55% of the vote on election day, but you've got to govern for 100% of the people. And I think that's something Nikki Songus did a great job of. Um, it's going to be a really a new era uh, in the district, um, you know, moving forward. But I think if folks really listen to the people on the doors, they really listen to people um, and not just, you know, have a fancy slogan or say they're going to do this, that and everything without, you know, hanging out down at the market basket, gathering signatures, listening to people, what they have to say. And, and, and they might have voted for Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I met people who said, oh, I'm voting for Nikki Songus and Ratty Mom, who's a representative in Lowell, but I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he cares about me. Well, it's crazy to think, but at the same time, why do they think that? Yeah. You know, why do people feel disconnected to people at the top, but they feel so connected to their local officials? That's something that I think, uh, you know, some of these candidates, you know, some of them are local, but they really have to listen and, uh, you know, show that they care without looking fake. So I, I think we've got some good candidates going forward and I've talked too long. I've exhausted my time, um, but it, it's it's something, you know, I, I care very deeply about and, and still do. Um, there are a lot of great people up there. Um, you know, it's not as flashy as Boston and it's not as, as uh, you know, as, as liberal as, as, say, Catherine Clark or, or, uh, or, or uh, um, excuse me, a uh, Joe Kennedy district and the Newtons and the Wellesleys and the Cambridges. But these are people who certainly care and they know their politics and they will be engaged come election time. So uh, hey. that's my 25 and a half cents. You got it. And if you're a candidate and you don't listen to this podcast and you don't listen to Joe's takes on <laughs> this whole district and what the people want and getting out there and door knocking, you guys are all crazy. Joe has, like I said, intimate knowledge. He spent, you know, a long time out there in that district. He knows the players. He knows the people. He knows the issues and all of that. So if you're a thinking about potentially running for this race, this is something that you better listen to. So, Joe, uh, do you got any other final comments not about uh, CD3? Well, I think we have to touch on it real quick. Um, the events in Charlottesville uh, this this weekend – um, it, it really, as much as, you know, we're from the North and, and, you know, it, the, 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 uh, specter of civil war always comes back. I think I actually saw Renee Graham in the globe say, this is, this, you know, Charlottesville was our next Fort Sumter. Mm -hmm. I was kind of taken aback. Have we really gotten to that point? Um, you know, it's, it was a crazy weekend. Um, and, and our president, uh, the president of the United States, it, it, it's, it's embarrassing, um, it, you know, obviously there are many sides to many issues, but this is one of them where if you're a neo-Nazi or, or a white supremacist, uh, there's no room for you here. There is absolutely, absolutely. We fought a, a world war over this. Hundreds of thousands of people died. 
um, you know, especially from the United States of America, um, you know, go talk to a World War II veteran and, and ask them what they think of, of what uh, the president had to say about this. You disavow left and right. Um, it, it is absolutely horrible. Um, but I, I do have to touch on one thing, Clancy, and obviously you've got, uh, you know, stuff to say about it, is this is not new. Um, you know, people are shocked and awed and, and, and they're like, oh, what happened in Charlottesville is that's not who we are. Well, I read a really interesting Politico article today. Um, a gentleman who is a professor of history, and full disclosure, I'm a history major. I take great interest in this. And, and it's just magnified because we have a president who doesn't disavow it. Um, and also because we have media that now covers this. Um, if you get a chance to see the Vice, um, Vice does a, as a YouTube video on, on what happened this weekend. It's an excellent bit. That's an uh, interesting on news outlet to do an article an excellent article on something like this Great. So I'm, I'm interested big j journalism wow. um really good stuff but this has been going on for years and it's not just in the south obviously you know we have uh, quite a dirty past in the united states of america of, of slavery um you know the civil war regardless of what anybody will try to tell you, was about slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not to say that the, the folks in the North and, or, or any, you know, they were moral superiors because this stuff happened again in the early half of the, of the century. Um, you know, we saw race riots in Detroit and, and the big cities uh, of the North. It, it was, uh, you know, I, going back to my history training, I, you know, hearing about African-American and soldiers who were segregated to begin with in World War One who came back and were beaten up in the uniform of the United States of America. I mean, this happened as recently as 90 years ago. Um, you know, people, the lynchings that happened after the Civil War, and, and happened up until the 60s and 70s, and the Ku Klux Klan was alive and well, not just in, in, in parts of the South. They were also alive and well in cities, you know, disaffected folks who felt that people were overtaking. So it's really, it happens in cycles. It's just magnified. Um, with the media that happens today and it happened before donald trump it happened before barack obama you know it's really it's uh it's it's been happening for 200 plus years and and we have to we have to grapple with and what happened this weekend is absolutely disgusting um you know there was a right side and there was a wrong side and and a line was 100 percent crossed um you know quick quick anecdote i was in gettysburg over the fourth of july weekend and there was um Antifa, which I know is in the news um, a lot, there was a rumor that they were going to, um, you know, uh, denigrate Confederate graves and, and monuments and burn Confederate flags. Um, and it wasn't to be. Nobody showed up. But when I was there, the amount of um, folks carrying uh, Confederate flags and that were in town with weapons on federal property, on national um, Park Service property it was very unsettling, and nothing happened. But there was a lot of police president, uh, presence. You go into the shops. Apparently, the state police in Pennsylvania encouraged shop owners to carry weapons oh, that Jesus. weekend because it was so high. And this was Fourth of July weekend. That's crazy. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, families and, and reenactors and people wow. there to learn about our history. Um, you know, I, I encourage people to read a book called. Um, I know J.D. Vance's um, book that just came out, um, um, Elegy to a Hillbilly, is very popular, but um, Confederates in the Attic uh, um, by Tony Horowitz. Great book to read about how the Civil War is alive and well today, and it's stuff we get to grapple with. And, and I just get up on my soapbox, and I apologize to people for preaching, but it's it's a, it's a passion of mine. Um, this stuff is, is That's alive what we're here well for, today. Joe. This is what we're yeah. here for. <laughs> But pick up that book this weekend, Clancy. You got it. You know what? I don't have much to do, so I think this will. Uh, <laughs> I'll give the book review on the next uh, next week's podcast. So 
With that, we are signing off on the Exit Poll Podcast, and good luck to everybody running in the CD3. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.